We're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We started a study in Galatians a couple of weeks ago now. And uh, we did kind of an introduction. We looked at uh, the setting, the place, the writer. Uh, we talked about uh, some of the struggles, some of the key points. And uh, so we're going to be continuing our study uh, in Galatians chapter 1. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Paul's warning uh, to the church. Uh, Paul's warning uh, to the church. And we're just going to look just at uh, uh, verses 6 through 8 as we get started this morning. And so if you'll stand out of respect for God's word. And uh, we're just going to read just a couple of verses as we get started this morning. Uh, Galatians uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 6. And it says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who has called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. All right, let's stop there. We'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, your word tells us who we are. It tells us who you are, and it tells us what you have done for us. And Lord, we do think about that grace that has been given to us, that gift of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that there is no way that we could make our way to you except through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we do thank you for that gift of your son. Thank you that we can be right with you, not because we are good people or because we are righteous people, but because Christ lived in our spot under the law, that he died in our spot, the penalty which we should have taken, and that he rose again to show us that we too will one day live with you forever and ever and ever. And so, Lord, as we talk about this topic of, of the gospel today, and, and really as we th consider Paul's warning to the church, we pray that you would help us as Christians to stand firm in what we know to be true as it's connected to the gospel. May we never accept uh, different ideas of some of the fundamentals of the faith, including the gospel. May we reject those just as Paul is going to remind us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Before I became the uh, senior pastor here of Wilton Bible Church, I was a youth pastor up in the foothills in Sonora, California. And uh, most of our youth group uh, did not attend uh, Christian schools or, um, actually, I don't even think there was a Christian school in our area. Most of our youth group actually went to uh, public schools in the area. And uh, I'll tell you from someone that went through a public school my whole life, uh, that can be challenging uh, for a Christian uh, young man or, or young woman, uh, but it can also be a great place uh, to be a light. And that is actually exactly what uh, many of uh, the, the people that were in my youth group, those, those guys and those girls, they were shining lights uh, within their public school. And there was actually one day that a, a young man started attending our youth group. His name was Jacob. And so uh, Jacob was a, a sharp young man. He was very intelligent and, and uh, got some really good grades and asked some really good questions. And how did Jacob start coming to our youth group? Well, he went to uh, Sonora High School, and there were a couple of guys that were from our youth group that was Jacob's friend. 
And so uh, they began to encourage Jacob to come to a youth group. And one day, Jacob decided to come to youth group on a Wednesday. And, and then it wasn't just on Wednesday. He actually started coming to Sunday school on Sunday morning as well and being a part of Sunday school and uh, being a part of that part of the youth group as well. Well, I didn't know it, but these two young men that had invited Jacob didn't stop with simply inviting him to youth group and inviting him to church. Actually, they were praying for Jacob and they were witnessing to Jacob. And so I remember one day after, after uh, Sunday school, uh, he stopped me before I left and everyone else is had, headed out the door and, and Jacob said, hey, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And he said, well, you know, and actually uh, the, the other two guys that are witnessing were uh, Jacob and, oh man, the other name, Michael. Yes, Jacob and Michael. And so Jacob and Michael are, were witnessing to him. And so what Jacob said, they have been telling me about the gospel. And I just wanted to talk to you. I just wanted to make sure that they didn't miss anything. And so uh, me and Jacob, we, we stayed after class that day between the services, and I opened up the Bible, and, and I shared with Jacob how he could have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that day, he bowed his head, and he asked Jesus Christ to be his personal Savior. And, G and, and I tell you that story because Jacob was so serious about believing the gospel that he didn't just accept what his friends were saying. He thought to himself, and because he was one of those rational type of guys, it could be possible they have left something out. And so I want to talk to the pastor. I want to talk to the youth pastor and make sure that they haven't left anything out. I don't think they left anything out. As I shared the gospel with him, he was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. OK. I, I think they covered everything. But he just wanted to be sure. You know, Jacob ended up graduating from uh, Sonora, uh, Sonora High School. And he ended up going off to Bob Jones University. His life was changed. I had the privilege of baptizing him as, as, a, as a teenager, and he went off to study actually a degree in science. And so I was so encouraged just to see that change the life. And, and really, the gospel has the power to change lives. And as we're going to see today, but the only gospel that has power to change lives is the gospel that is found in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this morning, we are reminded that there is no other name. Matter of fact, uh, this is what Peter, uh, Peter says. He says this, there is salvation in no one else. For not, not me, not you. There's only one individual salvation comes through. And he continues on here. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And who is he referring to? Jesus Christ, the one who died for us, the one who was buried, and the one who rose again for us. And so Peter says, there is no other salvation except through Jesus Christ. And so Christ gave us life through his life. He paid for our sin through his death, and he rose again so that we may too have that hope of a resurrection. And so this morning, and, and we're going to see it, Paul's going to make it very evident. I'm going to draw some of these ideas out of here. Paul gives us this idea as he opens up this letter. The message of the gospel is so important. 
in the message of the gospel should be taken seriously. And that is what Paul is going to hit home to the church today. That's what we're going to see today. And the very first thing that we see is really Paul's shock. All right, Paul's shock. He is shocked and he is surprised. And why is he shocked and surprised? Well, look at verse 6. He says, I am astonished. I am surprised. I am shocked that you are so quickly deserting him who is called you. Now, first of all, notice that very first part there. I am astonished that you are so quickly. Let me choose a different color there. So quickly. So why is, why is Paul, why does he say this? Well, we know from some of the, the content of this letter that, that Paul is writing this early on in his ministry. There's some, some things that haven't happened yet. Uh, because if they would have happened, he would have referred to them in this letter. So we know that this letter is written pretty early in his ministry. We also know that in his first missionary journey that he visited this area early on in his ministry. So the fact that he says you are so quick means that he had just been there. He had just started the church there and he left and they so quickly had turned to another gospel. That is why he is shocked. He put the church on the right path. And someone else had come in and they had misdirected the church in a different direction. That's one of the reasons why, and we talked about this in the, in the opening, that's one of the reasons why this letter is, is written the way it is and in such a hasty way because Paul is, Paul is dealing with a very important matter and that matter is the gospel. So he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly. And then notice he says, deserting him. You are so quickly deserting him, deserting him who has called you. And so our question this morning was, is who is Paul talking about? Who called these believers to Christ? Now, on one hand, we could say, well, is he talking about maybe himself? Maybe he's surprised because he's the one that shared the gospel. He's the one that uh, the, the, the means of, of grace that he shared that gospel and they got saved. And, and maybe that's what he's referring to. But that's not what he's referring to. Paul realized that he is only the one who shares the gospel. The one who really saves people is the Lord. And so we actually see this in, in just the verse before this. So look at verse 4. It says this, Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And notice what Paul says, According to the will of our God and Father. And so why did Jesus Christ come? Why did he die on the behalf of, of mankind? Because his Father sent him. That was God's will for him. And so God made it possible for us to have a relationship with the Lord. Matter of fact, and, and we looked at this early on when we started talking about uh, the gospel, and we went back to uh, Acts, and we looked at the start of the church. And so remember there at Pentecost, Peter is, is preaching, and he's telling everybody the truth of the gospel, and, and it brings the people to this. This is Acts 2.37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But that it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 39. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And then notice what is recorded, what Paul said under, under the Holy Spirit's control. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so we, we stop and we ask the question from verse 6 in our passage. Who is it that the church is on a path of walking away from? deserting and what paul is is and he's using very forceful words here because he wants to communicate to the church he wants to stress the importance of the gospel and he says do you realize that you are moving away from god you are deserting god it's not that you're deserting me as as the writer paul you're deserting god and so he is the one that has called him into the grace. Matter of fact, Jesus Christ says this. This is in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so when we, when we begin to study this idea of who does the, who does the calling, we see that it's, it's, it's the Father. The Father is the one who gave us the gift. The Father is the one who has given us an opportunity. And that is through grace. That is through grace. And so Paul is shocked. And really he uses some very forceful words here. Because he's really trying to communicate to them that they are moving away from the Lord. And so he, he says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly discerning him. That is God the Father who has called you into the grace of Christ. Now, if we were reading that letter this morning and Paul was to write that letter to us and, and we were on some type of path which was taking us away, immediately we would stop. I mean, this is a good opener for Paul because Paul has just told the church, do you realize that the path you're on is taking you away from God, not closer to God? And so they're, they're in a dangerous place here. The church is moving away from God. They are deserting God who has called them into that grace. And, and that's really that second part. There's a second thing that's brought to our attention, and that is God's work of grace. And again, Paul says there at the very end, there was called you into the grace of Christ. So what is grace? What is grace? In relation to God, grace is an undeserved favor. It is a gift, a gift that cannot be earned. Matter of fact, Paul, as he kind of talks about salvation, he says this, and, and this is a, a well-known couple of verses here, but this is from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And it says this, for by grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And so Paul puts it very clear here uh, to the letter to the Ephesians, but he's really confronting this, this air in the church in, in Galatia that, you know what, you have drifted away from that which is true. 
and you're moving away from the Lord. And that, that grace, they're, they're not only falling away from the Lord, they're falling away from that grace which has been given to them, that gift which has been given to them. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It continues on to say, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And so today, if, if you're a Christian here today, if, if you're saved, it's not because you're a good person. It's not because you put money in the offering plate as it went by. It, it's not because you're a member of Wilton Bible Church. It's not because you're a regular attender of Wilton Bible Church. If you're a Christian here today, it's because of what God has done for you. He has given you a gift, an undeserved gift. We don't deserve that gift, but God gave it to us anyways. That grace, that gift through Jesus Christ. And, and that's really one of the greatest gifts that, that God could give us. Of course, we talk about the word of God being uh, the greatest gift because without the word of God, we wouldn't know the gift that was given to us. But an equally good gift is Jesus Christ, because without Jesus Christ, we would have no hope. So sometimes, when, when, and when we think as, as parents, there, sometimes Christian parents, they think, they think this way. They think, well, it would be great if my, my child uh, followed the Lord with their life and gave their, their, their life to the Lord. But God, don't call them into missions. I don't want my, my daughter to marry a missionary or my son to go off and, and, and be in the jungles of Papua New Guinea. We have some missionaries in Papua New Guinea. And sometimes parents say, you know what? I, I, want, I, I want my kids to follow the Lord, but not away from me. Not to another state, not to another country, but to stay nearby. But think about what God did. All right? His special and unique son. He sent him to a, another place, a place that he knew would hate him and kill him. And God did that for us fully knowing what Jesus Christ would go through. And a matter of fact, when Jesus Christ needed him, he had to turn his back on him. And Christ called out, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? And it's because he took upon himself our sins. Can you imagine being a parent in that situation? Having such a close relationship as the father has with the son and having to turn your back on that close relationship. God gave us one of the greatest gifts, showed us one of the greatest loves he could show us by having his son come and die in our spot. And do we deserve it? We don't. I don't deserve it. But he did it anyways because of who he is, because he is a gracious God, slow to, uh, uh, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so God is a good God, and he has made a way for us to have a relationship with him. Matter of fact, if there was some other way, 
if let's say and this is and this is what sometimes other religions and this is what was happening in the church they were saying well christ is good but you have to do this as well As a matter of fact there's some religions today that they deny that that christ is sufficient and they say no this is more important and paul makes it very clear that if it was not if salvation could have been done some other way then the gift that god has given to us was meaningless matter of fact this is what he says a little bit later on in Galatians 2.21, he says this, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And so Paul says this, hey, you know what? If there was another way to God, then what Christ did was meaningless. What he went through, what we're about to remember today, if there was another way through the law, just by being a good person or by putting money in the offering plate or, or by reading your Bible, if there was another way to get to God, then what Christ did was, was pointless. But not only that, that means that what God did was also pointless. And here God is giving up his one precious son. And, and to say that there is another way means that what God has done for us did not need to be done. There was another way. And we know there is no other way. And so as Paul starts out here, he says, I am astonished. I am surprised. I am shocked that you are so quickly deserting him who has called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I need to stop there because uh, as soon as we hear that idea of a different gospel, we might think to ourselves, well, there is a different gospel, Paul just said, to a different gospel. When Paul uses this word gospel, uh, what he is meaning is another message of reconciliation. And that is what the church uh, began to believe. There were some false teachers that said, hey, there is another message of reconciliation. It's not just Christ. It's Christ plus works. And that's how you get to heaven. And so they had a different message of reconciliation. It was a counterfeit gospel. And so Paul uses word, those words, different gospel, not be, meaning something that is comparable to the gospel of Christ, but something that is a counterfeit message. Another message of reconciliation, which does not bring reconciliation. When I was um, at, our, at our previous ministry, I... I worked in town and I worked at a, a retail store and, and there were some times where I was at the front register and, and money was coming across. I mean, you know, most people just pay with a card, but every now and then you get uh, money coming through. And uh, there were times where I actually caught um, counterfeit, counterfeit bills. So I also got to work in the cash office. So I got to be the one that uh, balanced all of the uh, drawers and got everything prepped for the morning. And there was one time I, I found a counterfeit bill and I was just, I was just kind of uh, setting up the bag and I wasn't even really looking down. And then all of a sudden 
I noticed it. I didn't even have to look at the bill. I could tell just by how it felt that it wasn't right. So immediately I looked down and I began to identify it a little closer. I got a counterfeit bill here. I guess uh, some people were using these uh, recently, in the past couple of years, I guess. And you know, I, I felt that money and I thought there's something wrong here. And I looked a little bit closer and I could actually see the dots of ink from a ink printer. Something that you just don't see on a traditional dollar bill. Normally on a traditional dollar bill, if you, if you look at one, the lines are very, very crisp. They're not printed, they're really like stamped. They're, they're really crisp. And, and what I was holding in front of me was actually printed off from a home printer. And so I, I showed it to my manager and my manager said, well, how do you know? How do you know if it's really counterfeit? And I said, well, give me an eraser. And I took the back of her pencil and I began to erase the dollar bill. And I said, you're not supposed to be able to do this. And of course she said, well, give it to the bank, let them sort it out. Of course, that's what I did. I gave it to the bank, let them sort it out. But it was counterfeit. And the same thing happened one day when I was on the register. And this lady handed me a $20 bill, and, and I, I took it, and I, it, it, upon receiving it, I was like, wait a second, this doesn't, this doesn't feel right. And then I, I took a closer look, and it wasn't right. And she said, well, I just got it from the bank. And I was like, I don't think you just got it from the bank. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't accept that. You could try to use it somewhere else, but I can't accept that. And so I handed it back to her. Now, later on, for you law enforcement here, I think I was supposed to keep that money and turn it into someone, but I gave it back. I didn't know. And um, it was uh, the reason why I give you that illustration is because there was something at, at when it, both times in that counterfeit money, there was something that felt off. And then when I began to take a closer look, I realized there was something that was off. And really, that's what the church should have done. The church should have listened to these false teachers, and there should have been something that felt wrong. So they did a little bit more digging. And of course, they don't have the full uh, um, inspired word as we have today. They were just very, very new in their faith. But still having the Holy Spirit, there should have been something that felt a little off. They should have pursued that. And really, that's what we should do as Christians. As we turn on the TV, as we listen to podcasts, as we open up books, and we read, there should be things that we just don't take as fact and as Bible. Instead, we should read and go, is this a counterfeit message? Or is this a true message? And as you're reading, if there's something that just feels wrong, there's, there's something in your spirit, and you read and you go, I don't think that's right. You should go back and study and find out whether or not it's right. Because really what we believe is very important to our relationship with the Lord. And so it could have, and, and sometimes we think, well, maybe a little bit 
Is it, is it really a big deal? And, and matter of fact, Paul points this out in the very next verse. He says this, not that there is another one he's talking about, not that there is another message of reconciliation, another gospel, another one in which we might be saved. There is no equal, Paul is, is saying here. There is no other one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, when you think about distorting, it, it's not like, Somebody says, well, you know, I'll trade you a $100 bill for my dollar bill, and you go to yourself, well, it has a one on there, and your has a one on there. Okay, we'll, we'll make a trade. Kind of like uh, sometimes uh, uncles or aunts or parents, they uh, play little tricks on their kids, and they say, hey, I'll give you two quarters for $1 bill because two is more than one. And the child goes, oh, you're right. Two is more than one. I would like to have two quarters rather than one dollar bill. And so there should be an amount of taking things and listening to them. But here Paul says that it's been distorted. It looks very similar to the gospel, but it's been changed a little bit. And we need to be careful of, of these types of things because even a little change can make a big difference. A little change can make a big difference, especially when we're talking about the fundamentals of the faith, as we're talking about the gospel today. A little change will make a big difference. Uh, growing up, my grandparents uh, had a canoe. If you've ever been kayaking or canoeing, uh, you know that uh, you have to know where you want to go and then you need to make sure that you're paddling on one side and paddling on the other side to make sure you're headed in the right direction. Now, you could say in a kayak, and I think Pastor Peter has a kayak. I'm sure he's never done this before. But he, he, somebody could say, you know, self, I don't like paddling on the left side. I'm just going to paddle on the right side. And so they paddle on the right side. And you know what? Maybe the first and the second paddle, they seem okay. It seems like you're still headed where you want to go. But the more that you paddle on that right side, what happens? You begin to go in circles. A little can affect a lot. And so is true with the gospel. Though they have just simply distorted it, that can change the whole thing. And pretty soon, they're off in the wrong direction. And we need to be careful. So we may be reading books by, by authors and we say, well, you know what? I mean, I know, I know that what he believes about God is, is not right, but you know, he has some really good things to say. So we, we need to be careful about taking in all of that. It's okay to like rationalize and say, okay, I should keep this and I need to really throw this out because this is not true and this is true and I'm going to hold on to that. You know, it might be better just to go with good authors that you know you can trust. So there's not so much doubt in your mind as you study through someone's material. And so don't, don't, be, don't be confused. A little distortion of the gospel is a big deal. And Paul puts that forward here. He says this. Notice there in verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
And so Paul here uh, uses some, some strong language to get across a very important truth. That a little distortion to the gospel can create very big problems. I'm looking through my notes here because I have skipped, not skipped, but um, not following my notes here to a T. Paul here, he's not talking about, as he says, uh, but even if you're an angel of heaven, should preach you another gospel kinder than one you preach to you, let him be accursed. That, that word accursed is, is probably the strongest word that Paul could use here. And, and it's a, a ma, a, um, <laughs> anathema, and uh, it really comes from the Septuagint, and uh, Paul only uses it five times in his writing. Uh, Luke uses it one in, in the book of Acts. It's only really used six times in the New Testament, but it's used 21 times in the Septuagint. And so by looking back at the Septuagint, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so that's what they would have had and what Paul would have used. And so no doubt this idea is floating around in Paul's mind as he is writing, as he is pinning this letter. And so to give you an idea of what this means in the Septuagint, really what this means is that it has been, it has been dedicated to the Lord for destruction. So it, it's not simply that, that may you be punished. It, Paul is saying here, may, this, these, may these people be set aside for God's wrath. That is what Paul is, is saying here. And notice he puts himself on the table as well. And so notice, and this is kind of a hypothetical situation. And so Paul, first of all, uses a hypothetical situation. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you, all right? This is hypothetical. If, if this was to happen, if, if we or an angel was to preach to you something contrary to what you've already received, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that his death, burial, and resurrection is all that we need. If anyone else preaches anything else, let him be accursed. That is the strongest word he could use. That is, let them be set aside for God's wrath. Paul here is really pronouncing, he's pronouncing a curse on anyone who would preach a gospel that is not consistent with the word of God. And so that is very strong. Those are some very strong words for Paul to use. And that is because this is so very important to Paul. And so he uses the strongest words. He says this, Paul is pronouncing a curse on everyone on earth and in everyone in heaven who would preach to you another gospel contrary to the one that God has given. Whether it's man or whether it's angels, if anyone, let them be accursed. And, and he repeats this idea. So he goes from the hypothetical to the actual. And he says this, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is, and notice, preaching to you a gospel, a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be a curse. And so Paul goes from the hypothetical, if we or if angels, and he goes to, if people are, if they're preaching something, let them be accursed. And so Paul is really pronouncing a curse on these false teachers. 
Let me give you an illustration of, of what we're talking about here from the Old Testament. This is uh, found in Joshua chapter 6. And this is as Israel is coming in to possess uh, the promised land. And they're, they're going to uh, fight against Jericho. Well, really, God's going to fight against Jericho. They're going to walk around Jericho, and the walls are going to come tumbling down. And the reason why I want to point this out to you is because this is the same word that Paul uses for accursed that we see in the Septuagint here in Joshua. So notice here, it says this. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. That is the idea that Paul is using here. Devoted to the Lord for destruction. Paul is saying, whoever preaches a gospel contrary to the gospel that God has given, let them be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Then notice only Rahab and the, prostit uh, the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. And then this is the same word comes up again here in the very next verse and notice this, but you keep yourself from the thing devoted to destruction. That's that same idea there, same word. But you keep yourselves from the thing devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things that is anything that's been devoted to destruction and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. And so what Paul has done here in, in talking to the church and, and using the words that he has used and really pronouncing a curse upon these people, and I don't mean that he is, is, is cursing like, if when someone cuts someone off and they curse out the window, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the fact that someone has gone against God and Paul is saying anyone that has gone against God should be set aside in this fashion. Anyone that is preaching another gospel. And I can't help but think to myself here, sometimes we joke around and we say, well, don't stand too close because when the lightning comes down, you don't want to get hit. And, you know, that's the idea that's happening here, that Paul is, is pronouncing a, a curse upon these people. And he's saying, you know what, church, if you continue to head down this direction, you're going to have problems and God is going to have to judge. And so that's why Paul is so serious when it comes to his opening statements to the church, because the gospel and the message of the gospel is so very important. And so again, that is why he says this. You are so quickly deserting him who has called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That is a different message of reconciliation. And so Paul takes this matter very seriously, and we should also take this matter very seriously. And so just in case you haven't caught it this morning, the message of the gospel is critical, and it should not be changed. We should not add to it. We should not take away from it, because the gospel is not man's gospel. The gospel is God's gospel to mankind. It's about his grace 
extended to us. It's not about we making our own way. It's about the fact that he's made a way for us. So we are not allowed to add to the gospel. We are not allowed to take away from the gospel. We are not allowed to distort the gospel in any way. For it's not our message. It's God's message to mankind. And so the only way for us to have a relationship with, with God is through Christ. Christ said this. This is John 8, 12. We're going to finish with this idea. Some of the I am statements that Christ said. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, he said this a couple of chapters later. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. But probably one of the most well-known I am statements is found in John 14, 6. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other gospel. And if we as Christians are tempted to accept another gospel or to repeat another gospel, know that we are not in line with the word of God and we are not in line with Paul. Paul realized that the message of the gospel was so very important. And we too should realize the message of the gospel is so very important. Important to keep safe, but also important to share. Because it is the one thing that can change people's lives. Not going to meetings, not going to church, not reading their Bible. The one thing that can change people's lives is the gospel of Christ. And so, for by grace we have been saved through faith. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for, for the gospel message. Lord, we thank you for the word of God, which has revealed to us our need for the gospel. Thank you for the law, which, which does not provide a way for us to have a relationship with you, but actually is, is, is a list to show us we are broken people. And when we begin to look at those commands, we realize we truly are broken people, that there is no way that we can live up to those. But Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ, who lived under the law and yet never once broke the law, that he lived in our place. Thank you, Lord, even though we don't deserve it, you sent him to die for us, knowing that he would take upon himself the sin of the world, knowing that one day you would have to turn your, your back on him. But thank you, Lord, that he didn't stay dead, he wasn't simply buried and that was the end, but he came back to life. He had a resurrection to show us that he was who he said he was. He fulfilled that prophecy, but also to show us that we too, one day when we die, we will live again with you forever and ever and ever. So Lord, help us to protect the gospel. Help us to share the gospel. The message of the gospel is so important. It is so critical. It is the one thing we need as mankind which will truly change our lives. And so, Lord, 
I think about some of the people in the world today, they're, they, they're holding on to a counterfeit gospel and they're sharing a counterfeit gospel. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes to their air. Allow us as Christians to be able to point them in the right direction, to share with them what Jesus Christ has done for them, what you have done for them. And may we never, whether it's a church or individuals or as personal families, may we never move away from you and move away from the grace of Christ. May we always stay close, realizing that the only reason why we can have a relationship with you is because of your gift. It's not because of what we do that makes you love us. You decided to love us even when we were running from you. And so thank you, Lord, for the gift you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.